Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for your great mercy and your great grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. That we celebrate this time of year that the Word become flesh and dwelt among us. That we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Lord, we know those are the two realities that we need in our world the most. We need your grace. Lord, because we are sinners. All of us fallen short of the glory of God. None of us able to do enough good works, good deeds, even if we had a billion years to do nothing but good deeds. None of these could atone for our sins. And yet in Jesus, we have grace upon grace because you lived a perfect life, fulfilling the laws, demands in our place. You died on the cross, fulfilling the sacrifices of the law, and you rose again from the grave. You paid for our sins price, and we receive your grace by faith. Lord, we thank you for that reality, for that truth. And Lord, we continue to receive your grace as we confess our sins to you, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, you're not only full of grace, but you're also full of truth. And in a world full of relativistic thought, full of relativism, Lord, we are are thankful that in you we have everlasting, rock-solid reality. We have truth not relative it's defined by your character that jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and lord we thank you for those realities by which we are saved and it is by the grace and mercy and truth of jesus by which we approach your throne of grace to receive help in our time of need lord i know that there are many in our in this room right now that need your grace that need your presence that need an encouragement from the Spirit. Many are walking through trials in their families. Some are walking through health issues. Some are walking through issues on the job. Lord, we pray that they would all know your grace. Lord, we lift up Hassan to you who lost his grandfather last night. Lord, I pray for his comfort and that family's strength in these days. May they know your hope. And Lord, I pray that his family Kosovo comes to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. But we also lift up those in Kentucky who last a couple nights ago were had these terrible tornadoes go through and killed so many. Lord, I pray that you would comfort and strengthen them for our teams that are already on the ground and Baptist disaster relief. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and encourage them and help them be the hands and feet of Jesus as these people try to put their lives and their towns back together. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us now through your word. May we know your encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 and reading through verse 20. Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. But an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made note the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now. Help us to have a word of encouragement and comfort and lift up our souls to worship Christ, our King. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And like a lot of uh, America today, I had the privilege of being able to grow up in church. And so from various early, earliest ages, I think even from my first week of breath, that we were in church. One of the fun things about growing up in church is, especially before you have the ability to read and find out what people really are saying, is sometimes you, you just make up things that it sounds like they are saying this, especially when the congregation is singing. And sometimes I found out that some of the things I thought they were singing is not really what they were, what they were singing. So, for example, we sing a song called The Solid Rock. And it says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is stinky sand. <laughs> all other ground is stinky sand. Well, we know that's not what the hymnal says. It's correct, right? <laughs> if we were being real, yeah, everything else is stinky sand except for Jesus. Yeah, that works. Even though the hymn writer wrote, sinking sand. One of the other things that I thought is I thought that the angels of Scripture had the names Michael, Gabriel, and Harold. <laughs> and the reason why is because, hark, the herald angels sing. And I thought there was one of them that had to have the name Harold. <laughs> and so, and of course, he was the song leader of them all. Now, we don't use the words hark and herald very much anymore. Now, in fact, you probably have not said those words since last Christmas, right? <laughs> Usually we only use those words around Christmas time. I don't think I've ever said to my children when, when Mandy got home from the store or something, I don't, have, I don't think I've ever said to them, Hark, mother cometh. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I've ever said, maybe I have actually, maybe I have. <laughs> but um, it sounds like something I might say. But not usually. <laughs> I probably have never said, Behold, the herald speaketh. And I probably have never, never used those words like that. We don't, we don't talk like that anymore. So what in the world are we saying? Hark, the herald angels sing. We're not talking about an angel's name. We're not using language that we use in our culture, in our world today. What that word hark means is, is, is really simple. That word hark simply means listen up, pay attention. 
There's, there's something really important about to be sung or something really important about to be, about to be said. It means, hey, pay attention, listen, listen up to this message, this important message that is about to be shared. Very important for us to, to hark, to listen, especially in an age where attention spans are so short. In an era where we spend so much of our lives in front of screens, in fact, they're saying now that many people in our culture, in fact, most people in our culture actually spend more time in front of a screen than they do sleeping in an average week. And so with attention spans getting so short into, in our world, in our hearts, and our souls today, it's important for us to pay attention to something. Especially be careful what we actually give our attention to this difficult, precious thing that we have. What we give our attention spans to. And this song that we sing every Christmas is calling us to give our attention to what the angels have to say. To give our attention to this baby who was born in Bethlehem. Now, they also use that word herald in this song. It's not the name of a person. It's the name of an occupation. It's the name of a role or a responsibility. Now, what is a herald? A herald is somebody who the king sends as his official messenger, and the official messenger walks to the middle of town, gets up on a podium, and shouts out to everybody, Hear ye, hear ye, a message from the king. And so, hark the herald angel sing means listen really close, pay really close attention, because the angels have something really important to tell you. Because the angels have something extraordinarily, in fact, of eternal significance to tell you about this baby that was just born in a manger. And so what I want to do today is I want to think about this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. As we've been doing for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the history of some of the songs that we sing every single Christmas season. And here in this particular song, some of the background is fascinating because in this song, you will actually have a Methodist five-point Arminian working together with a Calvinistic five-pointer coming together to put together a Christmas song that they're going to set to secular music. <laughs> That's the story of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So let me give you some background to this hymn. This hymn was written by a guy named Charles Wesley in the year 1707. He was the 18th child of Samuel and Susanna Wesley. Wow! <laughs> and they had a total of 19 kids. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> now most of them, only 10 of them survived to maturity. Actually, Charles was born prematurely. He was born in December. So he's a Christmas baby. He was born in December of the year 1707, and when he was born, they thought he was dead. They thought he wasn't going to survive, but they wrapped him up in a blanket and prayed over him for weeks. He stayed wrapped in wool. They weren't sure if he'd survive, but he began to thrive. He began to grow, and his mom, Susanna, actually homeschooled he and his brother, John. They were a, a homeschool family, and his mom was an incredible lady. She actually knew Greek, Latin, and French, huh? And she homeschooled them for six hours every single, every single day. After growing up as a homeschooler, Charles later went off to uh, what is equivalent in our day to high school and college. He went off to Westminster Academy. He went off to Westminster School, where in that particular school, you were only allowed to speak in Latin anywhere outside of private conversation. Huh? 
You think Hanford's tough, right? <laughs> Can you imagine going there? I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to speak in Latin all day, every single, single day. After that time, he added nine years at Oxford where he got his master's degree. And it was at Oxford University where he felt the deadness of the school, the deadness of the student population. Nobody cared about Jesus. And so he started a new club. He called it the Holy Club that was there to help students, to help other students work on their Christian life. And in that particular group, they got up early every day. They met together, just a few people, actually just three people. There was, there was Charles Wesley, there was his brother John Wesley, and there was another guy named George Whitfield. And George Whitfield, Charles, and John Wesley all met together every day in this club that they called the Holy Club. And they met there for the purpose of praying together, reading the Bible every day, and they did prison ministry together. So they wanted to not just meet together and talk about the word. They wanted to serve their community. Let the word that's working its way into their heart work itself out in very practical ways in loving and serving their community. That was called the Holy Club. It's like a little college church, kind of, kind of like a little resonate like we have here in, in the Northwest across many of our campuses. 1735, but Charles actually wasn't yet, even though he was doing all these things, he would say, I was not yet a Christian. When does that happen? Happens here in a moment. 1735, Charles actually joined his brother John. Both were now ordained. He didn't say he was ordained to the ministry, but he said it wasn't yet a Christian. But he was ordained to the ministry, and he went to this new little colony that we now know as Georgia. And so he moved to the, well, the colony of Georgia with his brother John to become missionaries to the new world, to this new colony. John served as the chaplain of this rough outpost of people, and Charles actually served as secretary to Governor Oglethorpe who was governor over Georgia at that particular, that particular time. Now, while they were there, it really didn't go well for them. Charles was shot at, he was slandered, he suffered sickness, he was shunned by everybody, including the governor, Oglethorpe, and he eventually left his mission work behind, very discouraged, very beat up, very much wanting to quit everything. He returned to England and he wrote in his journal, I went to America to convert the Indians but who will convert me? I went to America to convert the Indians. Who's going to convert me? He was convinced he wasn't even a believer. How would he get out of this despair? Well, eventually he met a guy that was of a group called the Moravians. And if you want to study the Moravians, you should study the Moravians. The Moravians are like Jesus freaks. Like the Moravians, some of them who went on mission trips would pack their belongings in their coffin because they knew that was the only way they were going to come back. That was their deep commitment to Jesus. So you met a guy from the Moravians. His name was Peter Bowler. Peter Bowler gave him a book. It was Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. And Charles wrote in his diary, he said, I labored, I waited, I prayed to feel those words in Galatians 2.20, who loved me and gave himself for me. I didn't want to just read Galatians 2.20. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to rock my soul. The God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know it, but I don't know it. And there's a huge difference, isn't there? The huge difference is there's a huge difference between knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus. Massive difference. You can know a lot of things about Jesus and about Christmas and about God and about the Bible and about all these things. 
But unless it's rocking your soul, I wonder what's going on. And he got to that point in his life where one day it rocked, Christ rocked his soul. And he wrote in his journal, I've now found myself at peace with God and I rejoice in the hope of knowing and loving Christ. Two days after his conversion, he wrote one of the hymns, actually he wrote over 800 hymns, but one of the hymns that's actually in our hymnal is as follows. Two days after he trusted in Jesus, he said the following, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He wrote that poem. He became a prolific poet, poet, write all kinds of hymns. In 1739, one year after he got saved, one year after his conversion, he got his pen and he wrote down a poem. And this poem was called, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Except he didn't write actually that. It was first called, Hark How All the Welkin Ring. (laughs) Could you imagine singing that today? That would be stunningly meaningful. Hark how all the welkin ring. What in the world is that? Well, the welkin is simply, welkin is an old English word. It means, it means the heavens. And so, hark how the heavens ring. Now, thankfully, eventually, his friend George Whitfield, eventually in 1753, published the hymn. But George Whitfield uh, published it by changing the first line. He changed the first line to, hark the herald angels sing. So we have Charles Wesley, who formed a holy club that was eventually changed its name, and that holy club was the very first meeting of a group that was eventually called the Methodists. (laughs) Now we know where the Methodists come from. Joining together with this other guy whose name is George Whitfield, who was strongly and committed Calvinist, (laughs) And they come together and work together. Imagine that. And they work together for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of this hymn. Now, at that particular time, for 120 years, this song was actually sung to a lot of different tunes, to a lot of different songs that kind of fit those rhymes and that word. And it was sang to all kinds of different tunes until the year 1856, when a guy named William Cummings took, some, took a, a song by a guy named Felix Mendelssohn from the Gutenberg Festival and set this hymn to that song. What's interesting is this wasn't meant to be a Christmas song at all. In fact, Mendelssohn actually said, no one will ever sing this song in church. (laughs) Because he first wrote this song to celebrate the anniversary of Gutenberg's printing press. (laughs) I've never sang a song to my Hewlett Packard. I've had a lot of words to say to my Hewlett Packard at times. <laughs> what do you print? You know, <laughs> but I've never sang a song to my printer. So here we have an Armenian coming together with a Calvinist, putting a song together that's about a printer, and we sing it every Christmas. And every time I sing it, it brings a tear to my eye. Hark the herald angels sing. Now, what do we learn from this hymn? What does this hymn teach us about Jesus? Number one is this, trust in Jesus. 
and experience the joy of knowing the peace and mercy of God. So trust in Jesus and experience. It's an experiential hymn, an experiential Christmas Experience the joy and the peace and the mercy of God. Let's remind ourselves of the, of the first stanza of this hymn, let's, let's, of this carol. Let's sing this together. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Y'all sound good, very good. Here in this carol, what perspective does it take? Does this take the view of the angels, or does it take the view of the wise men, or does it take the view of Mary or Joseph or of the newborn king? Actually, none of those. The perspective that this particular hymn takes is the perspective of the shepherds. It's as if you were standing there as one of the shepherds thinking about what had just happened, that God set the whole sky on fire in front of you with thousands upon thousands of angels singing and shouting out glory to God in the highest. Now we don't need to miss that. The angels actually appeared to shepherds first. That would be stunning in that society. Why would you appear to shepherds? They are the least likely people on the planet to receive an angelic announcement. In that society at that time, in first century A.D., they were the lowest class of people. In fact, so low that their testimony wasn't even allowed in court. This was a job that was given to children that weren't yet skilled, and if you were still the shepherd when you were adult, you were considered to have failed in your development, in your life, in that age. Their testimony was not allowed in court. The, the reason why the shepherd's testimony is so important for us and the reality that the angels appeared to the shepherds first is that is this, Jesus isn't for those who have it all together. Jesus is for people whose life is all messed up. And that's really good news. Because there's at least one of us that has stuff in their lives that is messy. Stuff in their world that's like, oh my goodness, what is going on? And there's many of you, in fact, most of you, in fact, if we're reality, all of you are broken. And all of us are dysfunctional in some way. And all of us are needy. And all of us are desperate for help. There's times in our lives when we, our families may be dysfunctional. We may be dysfunctional in that we're struggling with sin. We're struggling with temptation and we're wondering, does God really want to have anything to do with me? 
that some of you who are silently, you look great on the outside, but inside you're dying a slow death on the inside. Does God have anything for imperfect, not okay people like you and like me and like all of us? Is there any hope for those who are struggling with addiction? Like so many in our city are. They're struggling. Even though they're great on the outside, they're struggling. And you may be struggling as well. The good news of Christmas is that Christ announced, or the birth of Christ was announced first to the most unlikely of people. And today in 2021, if you think, I just don't know that Christmas has anything for me. I don't know that God has anything for me. I've got to get myself cleaned up. I've got to get myself right. I've got to get some things fixed before I come to God. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. He, he welcomes you just as you are. All of the mess, all of the stuff, all of the dysfunction in your family, all of the stuff that you just like, oh man. He says, bring it all to me. In fact, he doesn't even wait for the shepherds to come find him. He goes to the shepherds and finds them and welcomes them to come on in. Come into the major. Come in to see this king that is born for your salvation. Come to see and experience this Jesus who has been born, Savior of a needy world. And so the message of the angels to the shepherds is, needy, all right, you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus came for. Messed up, dysfunctional, all of those. We have the message of the angels that is to us. What is the message of the angels? It's this glory to the newborn king. They have a birth announcement. We have a lot of different ways that we announce births today and that we have gender reveals. I mean, we'd have cakes with different colors. We have balloons. We have fireworks. We have all of these kind of crazy things that people do. But think about this. Here in this birth announcement, God sets the whole sky on fire with angels. <laughs> I mean, that seems appropriate <laughs> for the newborn king. God's setting the sky, the dark night sky over that field in Bethlehem. He sets the sky ablaze with thousands upon thousands of angels singing glory to God in the highest on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. They're proclaiming the birth of Jesus, the gospel that God and sinners are going to be reconciled. That's the good news of the gospel. God and sinners reconciled. Have you ever had a relationship that needed to be reconciled? Like you were estranged from somebody. Like you didn't call each other on the phone anymore. Like you wouldn't even hardly look at each other if you passed in the hallway or on the street. Have you ever been estranged from somebody? You know, it's one thing to need to be reconciled to another person. It's a whole other thing to need to be reconciled to God. And the good news of Christmas and the good news that we sing in this song is that God and sinners can be reconciled. Why? Because God made the first move. God made all the moves. God did all this. God did everything. He became man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the grave so that you could be reconciled to God. And how are you reconciled to God? It's not by trying hard. It's not by good words. It's simply by faith and trusting in Jesus Christ. It's simply believing in Him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That this isn't just some kind of good story that church folk believe or, or that's some kind of great myth. But no, no, it's none of those things. It's history. It's reality. It's truth. It's everything. It's the true God loves me and gave Himself for me. 
That's what it means to become a Christian, to trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. The rest of this verse causes, calls us to respond to this offer of salvation. He says, rise up and join the triumph of the skies. What is a triumph? A triumph means a victory march. It's, a, it's the march of heaven's army saying, yes, we have won the victory. It's like storming the court when your player sinks a three-pointer at the last second to win the NCAA tournament and you storm the court. It's join the triumph. Come on, join in to what Jesus has done. Don't be a spectator on the side, but join the triumph of heaven. Get in this joy that can be yours by knowing Christ, by knowing Jesus. No longer on the sides coming in to the game. You can know victory. You can know victory over anxiety. You can know victory over sin. You can know victory over addiction. You can know victory over separation from God. You can know victory in Christ. Number two, praise Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Praise Jesus for who he is and what he has done. That brings us to the second stanza. Let's remind ourselves of these words. Let's sing this together. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hailed incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. So verse 2 focuses on the character and the accomplishments of Jesus. Christ by highest heaven adored, like bowing down and worshiping him. We see this in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all of their hosts, the earth that is in it and everything that's in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Those of heaven are not easily impressed. Because they get to be around the throne of Almighty God, the one clothed in rainbows, the one shining brighter than the sun. They get to experience the glassy sea bowing down constantly around the throne of God above. They have seen creation, witnessed His creative acts in history. They know about space and all of the stars that God made. I'm stunned every time I think about space and galaxies and just how many stars there are in the universe. Did you know that there are 200 billion trillion stars in the universe? That would be the number 10 to the 22nd to 10 to the 24th power, like one with 24 zeros after it, number of stars in the universe. And that's an estimate. That's like a mole of stars for you chemistry people out there. <laughs> Huge number. I mean, stunning. And yet here are the ones who know all that, and we can't, even with our best telescopes, we can't see it. Here are the ones who know all of that. You're like, yeah, we know. And yet they are not 
amazed by that, as amazing as it is, here they are bowing down, shouting out about this baby that is born in this stable. What is so stunning for the, the angels of heaven to leave the throne room of heaven to come to a field, to come to a major? What is so stunning about that? Here it is. Jesus is the everlasting Lord. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Jesus is God become flesh. He is God become man. The next verse in this hymn says, Late in time, behold him come. When I was growing up, I used to think, maybe time isn't important in that culture. <laughs> or maybe, maybe he needs a watch. Because <laughs> we weren't allowed to be late growing up. You had to be on time. Stop. Does that mean that Jesus is late? Does that mean Jesus needs to go hang out with Scott so there'll be 10 minutes before time for everything? 10 minutes early for everything? <laughs> That's not what that means. <laughs> what does this mean? What is late in time? Behold him come. That means that we waited a long time for God to fulfill his promises that he would send the Messiah to crush the head of the devil. Jesus at just the right time comes to deal with sin, to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin. Jesus' birth is a miraculous work of God. He is the offspring of a virgin's womb. This is essential Christianity. If you do not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, you're not a Christian. It's essential doctrine, non-negotiable doctrine. Why is that? Because a God who's not big enough to do that mind-blowing thing, is he big enough to conquer the grave? Is he big enough to do anything else? If you don't believe in that miracle, all the other miracles fall apart. It's utterly essential Christian doctrine. We see it, well, listen to what Richard Sibbs said. Richard Sibbs says the following. He says, grace has not a body to appear visibly, yet Christ appeared. And when he appeared, it was as if grace and love had been incarnate and took a body so that grace and mercy most of all shines in the incarnation of Christ. Jesus is God become man. He is perfect God, never sinned, not infected with the sin of the human race, come to deal with the sin of humanity. It pleased the Lord to dwell in him, and now it's taken us all the way to the second stanza, eighth line. We've heard a lot about him. He's God incarnate, highest heaven, adore him, everlasting Lord, offspring of a virgin womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. We don't get it till the eighth line of the second stanza. We finally get his name. Who is the name of this God? It is Jesus, our Emmanuel. All this awesome stuff is the approachable. Yes. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with you. God with us. And that's the good news of the angel's announcement is that God is not just highest heaven adored. God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to come into fellowship and in communion with you as he forgives your sin and transforms your life. The good news of the manger is that God has come near, that it's not just God some faraway place that spun the world into existence and steps back and hopes it all works out for you, but it's God who enters into time, enters into space, and will enter into your life 
and will enter into your home and will enter into your heart if you'll invite him in. Finally, number three, praise Jesus because he was born so that we could be born again. Jesus was born so that we could be born again. Let's sing this last verse together. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Well, what does it mean to hail someone? We just said that. What does that mean? Does that mean you throw little ice cubes at them? <laughs> I'm hailing you. <laughs> Does it, is it something from Star Trek? Hail the Klingon ship. <laughs> Open a hailing frequency. <laughs> what does that mean? Hail. The word hail means to receive with enthusiastic approval. It means to receive with enthusiastic approval. It means you don't just like, that's something nice we sing at Christmas, but it's like, no, this is life. This is the message. Life and light to all he brings. I want to be in all. <laughs> I want to be in that group called all, and I want to be receiving the life and the light of Jesus. Hail means I receive him with enthusiastic approval. Not just sitting on the sidelines. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Receive Him. I receive Him. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Risen, life and light to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Look at some verses with me. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. His, the government shall be upon His shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There we have that. Micah 9, or 4, 2 says this. But... For you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Hail the Son of Righteousness, risen with healing in his wings. Is your soul sick? Is your heart sick? Is your joy sick? Is your family sick? I'm talking physical, but I'm more talking spiritual are your relationships sick is your marriage sick is there any hope for you at Christmas Jesus risen with healing in his wings can step into whatever your situation is and completely transform everything will you receive him will you trust him Christian you may be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and things aren't okay. The good news of Christmas is Jesus can come in with healing in his wings. Metaphoric language to say he comes in, he flies in, he comes in and brings healing to places that only God can touch, that only God can make a difference. 
John chapter 3, verse 3 says this. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus was born again that no man no more may die. He was born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. New life and light you can have in Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you as we finish today. For the believer, I want to challenge you to rest in the peace and mercy of Jesus this Christmas. Know Jesus for who He is and what He does. And those areas in your life where you're not okay, the good news of Christmas is just as Jesus appeared to the shepherds, Jesus will come to you with healing in His wings to bring healing and mercy and grace and hope and a future in those very areas where you're wondering, is there ever going to be any hope? And for those of you who may not yet be a believer, who may not yet have trusted in Christ, may not yet be a Christian, my encouragement for you is to turn away from yourself to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Only Jesus can save. Jesus came so that you could be born again, so that you could have new life in Him. Let's spend a few moments of silence just reflecting on what the Spirit has said to you, what Jesus has said to you today. And then I want us to respond in song today. Let's do some business with God.